spiritual diet is me on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, hey, I kind of like my preaching a little bit, but hey, that's not enough. You've got to take it home and apply it. You've got to dig deeper. Look at your neighbor and say, we got to dig deeper. We got to dig deeper. We got to grow stronger. Uh, and, uh, we've got to become more Christ-like in every way. So I, here's your homework. For the next three weeks, really this month, it's October, uh, just, uh, uh, really begin to saturate yourselves in first and second Timothy from the standpoint of discipleship lessons from a father to his son. That's so important. And so that's our, that's where we're headed. And by the way, let me just stop and say how much I appreciate our teaching team that was, uh, that just shucked the corn the last four Wednesday nights. Uh, and, uh, and it began with, uh, was it Josh was first? Josh and then Ryan was Ryan next and Trent. I know, and then I know Kobe finished. So it was Trent, Ryan, Josh, and Kobe. And I just asked my daughter who I saw the other day, Stacy, and she, I said, how was Wednesday night? And she said, OMG. She didn't say that, but it, she was pretty jazzed about it. How many of you here Wednesday night? Man. And so I, if you weren't, I want to encourage you to get those, uh, the series is called The Sword, all of them about the importance and the priority of the Word of God in your life. Uh, and Wednesday night especially, Kobe shared about the authority of Scripture. And I promise you, you've not heard a lot of the things he shared. And it'll just really strengthen your understanding of God's Word and be able to help you get a firm grip on the Word of God. So so that's what that's where we've been. And here's where we're going with old Pastor Sam. I'm back. Everybody say, he's back. Uh, man, I feel like I've been disconnected on Wednesday night. Uh, I was in Mexico once, and then we were up in uh, northeast Texas getting ready for our conference. And so, hey, I've been out of sync a little bit, but I appreciate your patience uh, as as you've allowed this teaching team to, to help you continue growing in Christ. So we're headed in this direction, discipleship lessons from a father to his son. Uh, and I want to just begin by looking at the beginning of the first two books. And I want to make this statement to you that you need to understand is really true. Disciple Discipleship, really, it's, a, it's an equation. It equals relationship. It really does. Everyone say discipleship equals relationship. Here, and, and this is not in your notes, but let me just throw this out. Three levels of relationship that discipleship uh, encompasses. Number one, relationship with who? Come on, y'all can say it out loud. Relationship with who? With God, with Christ. You've got to have a relationship with him. You can't be his disciple if you're not following him, right? Remember, we're following Christ. Our three-part definition a couple of Sundays ago was we, discipleship is, is learning to follow Christ, learning to fish for men, and learning and staying in fellowship with the family of faith. And so discipleship is relationship on those three levels, relationship with God, relationship with your community, with the lost world and reaching out to the lost world. Some of us are isolated from the world. You're supposed to be insulated, but not isolated. How many of you know there's a difference? You know, Jesus prayed for us in John 17. They were in the world, but Lord, don't let them be of the world. You see, we so worried the world's going to get off on us. We need to more be more 
thoughtful about the fact that, hey, we need to get the Christ that we have off into the world. Amen. So it's relationship with God, relationship with your community, and relationship with the family of faith. Building relationships with one another. Amen. Uh, you know, I, I see Randall here. Randall is, uh, 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 young. how old are you, Randall? 22. And he's going through some uh, a course in the community about uh, ministry and growing in Christ. But you know what Randall does every once in a while? He calls me and say, Pastor, let's go eat lunch. How many of you know that that's, that's hard to pass up right there? Lunch? That was my favorite class in school other than recess. But uh, man, lunch, it's fellowship, building relationship. And, and Randall and I, we've gotten to know each other just through that beginning to uh, being proactive and building relationships with one another. So we're going to see this with, with, with Paul and Timothy. And I want you to look at, at the first part of both books. Look in first Timothy chapter one. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our savior and Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Look in verse two to Timothy, a true son, in the faith. Everyone say a true son in the faith. Now I'm telling you that says a lot. He's, he's talking about a relationship he has with Timothy that is beyond howdy doody and hey, good to see you. And you know, those kind of surface issues. It was a relationship like a father has to his son. Thus we get this series, discipleship lessons from a father to his son. Now look over in 2 Timothy. Look in the first two verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Now look at this. To Timothy, a what? A beloved son. Now, I think he's almost stepping it up a notch. Man, it's a true son. And that kind of reflects the character of, of Timothy. Uh He's a true son. He's genuine. He's bona fide. Everyone say bona fide. But then you get the next letter, a beloved son. It's like this is Paul's heart towards him. Man, he's beloved. I love this guy. And so it, it, this, these two letters reveal the heart of God from a father, a spiritual father to a son. Here's one of the overarching things I want you to catch today, whether, yeah, even though it's Lessons from a father to his son. How many of you know all of us have a responsibility to be influenced to those around us? Amen. And in a sense, be fathers or spiritual mothers or spiritual influences. Now, we don't go around trying to adopt everybody and say, I'm now your spiritual mom or your spiritual dad. But how many of you know relationships can be built? Uh, Beverly and I were in a funeral yesterday. We got up early in the morning and drove all the way to Fort Worth to our dear friend, Pastor Sonny and Susan Kanatzer. Susan's dad passed away, and he was a longtime Pentecostal preacher. Uh, and uh, there was a little rift. Here was the rift. The grandson, who was not a Pentecostal, was doing the funeral. And all his spiritual brothers from years and his spiritual sons... They wanted to be a part of the funeral. So, uh, but the positive side of it was this great legacy this man left and these, these people that he's influenced in his life as a spiritual father. And so all of us have that responsibility on some level to, to, to realize that God has something from us to invest in others. There is people that God wants to bring to you because what, what, 
What are we talking about on Sunday morning? God called us to do what? Make what? Disciples. And if we're going to make disciples, we've got to be relational because that's what discipleship is all about. Okay, are you with me? Everybody ready? Here we go. I'm going to do a quick snapshot of, of First Timothy. I'm going to give you seven discipleship lessons that I see from, from, uh, these six chapters. And I'm just going to get kind of, I'm just going to quick and you can fill in the blanks if you want. If you don't, that's fine. I want to get first Timothy. Uh, I want, I want you to see this. I want you, and here's the reason I'm doing this. I'm going to spend more time in second Timothy. Uh, but I want you to see this even in first Timothy that all throughout this book, There's discipleship principles, lessons from a father to his son, okay? And I don't have time much to to give you a lot of detail about them, but let's just begin in chapter 1. Everybody with me, say amen. Chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 through 11, uh, and you can fill in this blank. Here's the discipleship lesson. Remain true to the core message of the gospel. Now, what he's saying in 1 Timothy, if you look, I'll give you a couple of verses. Look in verse 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now, what's he saying? We gotta, he, he gotta stay true to the core message of the gospel. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in uh, which is in faith. And, and when you look at all those verses, in fact, the last verse, uh, last two verses, he says, for fornicators, in verse 10 and 11, not the last two verses of the chapter, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to what? Sound doctrine, which is according to the glorious gospel. Everyone say gospel. Of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, You can look at this later, and you're going to study. This is your homework. But I want you to see these 11 verses and realize that when Paul jumps into this letter with his son in the faith, Timothy, what's he saying? We've got to maintain the 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 core message of the gospel. We've got to stay true to the core message of the gospel. And could I tell you, in the culture we live in, the gospel's being watered down, okay? It's being watered down to just a feel-good gospel or what I call a greasy grace grace kind of gospel that, hey, you can do whatever you want to, however you want to. It's all under the blood, so don't worry about it. And, and let me tell you something. Uh, the Bible teaches God's great grace, and God, the Bible teaches that we find liberty in Christ. But listen, let's don't water down the message. What is the gospel? Christ came into the world to die on a cross. He, he paid for our sins with his own blood. Somebody say amen. Read it in First John 15, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. And as Romans chapter 6 says, and we too have newness of life because of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many of you know no one's going to come to Christ except through him, through the power of the gospel? Everyone say, stay true to the core message. What a great truth that all of us got to maintain, need to maintain in our life. Chapter 2, turn over there. I'm just going to quickly run through these. Chapter 2 begins, we'll just, and let me just say, this is not the totality of lessons from these chapters. They're just some predominant discipleship lessons because Paul is talking to his son in the faith, Timothy, and empowering him with the truth to make more disciples and to keep the process of discipleship alive. Look what he says in chapter 2. 
Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, look down in verse 8. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Here's discipleship lesson number two. It's the priority of prayer in ministry. We've got to keep prayer as a priority in our life. And he says, listen, in fact, the context of the beginning of chapter two, we're praying and we're seeking God for men and men of authority and the 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 theme of our prayer is found in verse 4. Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. How many of you know that's what discipleship is all about? It's about more for heaven, less for hell, right? It's about people coming to know Christ and beginning to follow Him and beginning to serve Him. And then they begin to find their friends like Matthew did. Hey, he went and found his friends and others went and found their friends. And they said, come see Jesus, man. Come and listen to this guy. And that's the way it works. It's called friendship evangelism but where does it begin and this is what paul's trying to impart to his son in the faith timothy it's the priority of prayer someone said this once before you go talking to a bunch of men about god you talk to god about men how many of you know that's a powerful truth it's the priority of prayer in our life as as disciples and paul is imparting that to his son in the faith chapter three uh, and really, this entire chapter primarily is about the qualifications of overseers or leaders or deacons or, or bishops, whatever the title you want to give them, pastors, uh, uh, staff members, uh, um, uh, leadership in the church. He's, he's giving qualifications or what it takes to be in leadership and to be in, in ministry in the church. This leadership lesson uh, number three is the importance of character over charisma now when you look here's what i do a lot of times when i'm studying scripture i look at what's there how many of you know what's there is very important but i also look at what's not there and you know what's not there in this chapter when he talks about, he says, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. And then he goes on, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospital, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, not gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, on and on and on and on and go. You know what he's talking about? Character. He's not talking about gifting and grace. In fact, there's nothing about, about charisma in any of these qualifications of leadership. And so one of the great discipleship truths is, uh, hey, God's looking for character over charisma. When you think about God's purpose and plan for your life and you think, Woo, man, we love people with charisma. You know how some people make it to the top? Because they got charisma. They just, I mean, they're just people, oh, I love what he said, you know. But, hey, we found out over time that some people with a lot of charisma, they're light on character. How many of you know there's nothing wrong with charisma? Meaning, out, hey, gifting, gracing, ability. I thank God for it. But, hey, the importance and the priority of our life is character. I'll take character over charisma any day. How about you? 
So that's what he's teaching Paul. Uh, pardon me, Paul's teaching Timothy uh, this leadership lesson, this discipleship lesson of the importance of character over charisma. And then chapter 4, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to the doctrines of demons. But then he goes on to say, down in verse 6, uh, he says, what you and I have to exercise ourselves in, we've got to reject these ungodly attitudes. Look in verse 7. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. He says, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable, how? For all things. So here's the, here's the discipleship principle. It's the great gain of godliness. It says that godliness is profitable in all things. How many of you need God to invade your world in a lot of different areas? How many of you would appreciate his influence in your finances? How many of you would appreciate his influence uh, in your family, his influence in your workplace, his influence in, in your business or wherever you're at and whatever you do, his wisdom and insight? The Bible says that, hey, how you get the favor of God and the blessing of God on all those areas of your life is the exercise of godliness. Amen. What a great leadership truth that you and I need to embrace and a great principle of discipleship that we've got to embrace in our life. If we're going to be great followers of Christ, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to realize that, hey, yeah, I take care of my body, but the, the exercise of godliness profits me in every area of my life. How many of you know God wants to bless you in every area of your life? He wants to help you. He wants to profit you in those areas. He wants to bless your family. And He wants to bless your endeavors. Listen, our endeavor to reach the world for Christ is going to be short-lived without the exercise of godliness in our life. Number five, it's also found in 1 Timothy 4. I found two. I wanted to share it with you. Uh, discipleship principle that Paul was passing on to his son in the faith, Timothy. It's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 through 16. It says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Catch verse 13. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you through the laying on of, uh, uh, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Discipleship principle number five is the priority of personal growth. The priority of personal growth. Listen, in fact, I've said this in a lot of different ways. How many of you know spiritual growth doesn't just happen? In fact, natural growth, physical growth doesn't just happen, does it? How many of you know you got to feed the baby, right? Feed the baby. Everybody say, feed the baby. What is the script? And the scripture says, desire the, the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Spiritual growth does not just happen. You and I need a strategic plan. 
We plan about a lot of things. We get financial plans. I, I hope you have some financial plans. I have some financial plans. How many of you have family plans? Ooh, do y'all ever plan to do anything? Man, I've got some, I've got some plans for my family over the holidays. We're going to do some things and it's hard to get my, I love, hey, there's plans, there's strategies. We all have plans and strategies and things we incorporate in our life. But listen, we need to get strategic with our personal spiritual growth. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't, you don't wake up one day and, 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 and all of a sudden you're spiritually mature, do you? Have you ever met anybody been a Christian for 40 years, go to church pretty faithful, but they're still just spiritual babies in the Lord? They just don't grow. They don't have, they don't have a plan of personal growth. And Paul's coming along to Timothy and he's saying, listen, you gotta have a plan. You gotta get strategic. And man, he, he says, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Don't neglect the gift within you. Meditate on these things. Continue in these things. He's saying you better get strategic. You better get serious about personal growth. And, and, and again, let me just say, if you're relying upon what you hear me say on Sunday and Wednesday, uh, you know, and even if you're here 100% of the time, you know what? You're just, you're just, you're just surviving. You are not thriving. You take what you get and you just build on it and you develop a, a system of personal growth. If we're going to make a difference in the world, we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to get serious. Look what Paul says in verse 16. If you'll do this, you'll save yourself. That's not salvation as we know salvation. You'll save both yourself and those who hear you. How many of you know there are people watching us? People looking to us. Now, let me ask you this, and I hope every hand. How many, how many of you in the world you work in, someone who you would consider maybe not a Christ follower knows you're a Christian? Okay, that's good. They should know you're a Christian. That's give yourselves a hand. Yeah, they know you're a Christian. Yeah. But listen, you know what they are now doing if they know you're a believer? They are watching you. And your life is a testimony or a story or a, or something they look to as a role model and example. Did you realize that? How many of you hope they're not watching all the time? Hey, Paul's telling Timothy the importance of personal growth. It's so paramount. And then number six out of chapter five, it's the importance of relational integrity in ministry. I'll just say it this way. If you look at chapter five, it's about how we deal with others. You know, verse one, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. And then honor the widows. And you get down to verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. He's talking about relationships with others. And, and he's talking about being integral with others. Building righteous relationships with others in ministry. So very important. Amen. And then number seven from chapter six. A discipleship principle that Paul was passing on to his son in the faith, Timothy, in this first letter. It's never let money manipulate you. You can't lead those who you're afraid to lose. He's talking about loving, not loving money. And he said, oh, man of God. He said, the love of money is the root of what? All kinds of evil. How many of you know money is not the root of all evil? If you believe that, bring all yours to me. I'll take it. Money's not the root of evil. It's the love of money. 
And I think I said something like this Sunday morning when we're talking about decisions we make as disciples. Am I going to hang on or let go? And uh, we realize that, hey, it doesn't belong to me. Did you know you don't belong to you? You don't belong to you. You are not your own. You're a slave. You're supposed to be a willing slave of God. And, and we've got to understand that resources and the things that God puts in our care, hey, they are, they are nothing more than a tool to, to advance the kingdom of God. And all through this chapter in chapter six, uh, he's talking about how we should uh, deal with money. You see, we, we can manage our money, but we can't let our money manage us. Money can't be in charge of our life. Stuff can't be in charge of our life. Someone, someone have, people have asked me, is it wrong to have a lot of money? I said, no. Bible says you, God didn't want you to be poor. Some people are poor. God doesn't want you to, he says he'll, he'll give you everything you need. In fact, we talked about, uh, uh, the rich man of Arimathea. He's the one who paid for or supplied the tomb for Christ. Didn't rebuke him for being wealthy. Thank God he had a little money to help help the purpose and plan of God be realized. Uh, the rich man, the rich young ruler, uh, when Jesus told him to sell all he had and give it to the poor, he knew the guy had a heart issue about money. He went away sorrowful because he had much money. So, hey, we can't let money be in charge of our life. And when it comes to leadership, uh, you know, it's not about money. Everybody's the same. Remember Matthew, the tax collector? How many of you know he probably had a few bucks? He's hanging out with Peter, who had failed at fishing. So, hey, we're all equal. And so there's some, just from First Timothy, I wanted you to see that. And I want you to take First Timothy. I want you to study it. I want you to go back and, and just uh, look at it from the standpoint of a father to his son and how he's passing on uh, discipleship truth and discipleship lessons to his successor, if you will, Timothy, his son in the faith, because that's who he was. Uh, and so with that in mind, let's, let's, I want to give you some snapshots from second Timothy, second Timothy, look in second Timothy. I'm going to give you in chapter one, I'm going to give you four discipleship truths that you and I need to embrace, that Paul was passing on to his son in the faith, Timothy. Uh, uh, he was, Timothy was Paul's hand-picked successor. And so with that in mind, if you have a successor uh, and you have a great responsibility, you're going to do everything you can to get everything you can into them and deposit within them whatever they need in order to accomplish God's kingdom purposes. I'm going to read, uh, gosh... Do y'all think I could read all the way through verse 18 without y'all going to sleep? My wife's yawning back there. I just caught her right there. She might go to sleep. <laughs> we had a big day yesterday. What time did we leave, Beverly? 5.30? Got up at 4.44. I remember that. And we got home at midnight. And uh, I'm still a little draggy. Uh, so, uh, And we have to go back tomorrow. So... I'll pray for us. But hey, don't fall asleep. Here we go. I'm just going to read the first chapter. You follow along with me. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. There it is. Everyone say a beloved son. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did and as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. That's pretty cool. 
greatly desiring to see you. See, there's relationship. Being mindful of your tears. There's his relationship with him. That I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, I am persuaded, I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up. Everyone say stir up. Stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things, and nevertheless I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I've believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The good thing which was committed to you, keep that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesephorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. And the Lord grant to him that he might find mercy for the, from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me in Ephesus. And everybody said amen. I want to show you four things that I see in this chapter that are great discipleship truths that you and I need to embrace in our life. If we're going to be disciples and we're going to make disciples. How many of you want to be a disciple, a real disciple of Jesus Christ? Here's what Paul was passing on to Timothy in this first chapter, the first one, the first uh, 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 discipleship lesson is this, the power and the priority of what I call generational transference. Generational transference. God forbid that you and I live out our life and there's no transference to the next generation, that it dies out with you, that your influence falls to the floor. But Paul is imparting to his son in the faith the responsibility and the revelation of generational transference. Let me show it to you in verse 2. We've already read it. A beloved son. How many of you know? How many of you have kids? How many of you want kids one day? Okay. How many of you wish you'd had a few less? No, I'm joking. No. Hey, what we want to do with our kids is we want to impart to them truth and insight about living. Hey, do, do y'all teach your kids things? Let me teach you how to cook. Let me teach you how to make muffins. Let me teach you how to make pancakes. Beverly does that with the grandkids. We're imparting truth and revelation and insight and, 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 and life to them. And Paul comes along and says, hey, you're my beloved son. Let me tell you something. All of us should be bearing children, spiritual sons and daughters in our life. All of us need people who, when we die, come on now, when we're laying there, they're saying, OMG, 
This person made a huge difference in my life. This per- Without this person, I would not be this. I would not be that. Come on now. That's not, hey, it's, it's the, it's the priority of generational transference. And you know what? I'm getting older and I realize, you know what? My days are numbered. And I can't sit around and, and not make a difference in somebody's life. And so, uh, uh, someone I kind of questioned my latter years commitment. Let me tell you something. My latter years commitment is more on fire than ever before because of the fact that my days are numbered. And if I can come to the close of my days and I've made a difference in someone's life and people's lives are different because of my influence, it's the power of generational transference. We need sons and daughters. In fact, mm, I'm, I'm missing the, the passage in my mind, but uh, I'll have to look it up. But it, the, the scripture says there are not many fathers. There's a lot of teachers, but not many fathers. We got a father problem. In America, how many of you know I'm telling you the truth? We got daddy issues going on. And so, hey, it's time for us to begin to realize, hey, God wants me. If I'm going to make disciples, he's got something in me that he wants me to give to others and to pass the baton to the next generation. Look in verse 3. He says this, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. What's he talking about? Man, I got something from those guys. Amen. He's talking about the power of generational transference. Then he says, Timothy, man, your faith, I'm, I'm excited about it. And you know where it began? Your grandmother and your mother. What's he talking about? Generational transference. That's a powerful thing. And I've, I've, I don't, let me just tell you. I don't have a long string of generational spiritual transference in my history. My history is pretty limited when it comes to, to spiritual forefathers in my family. And everything I've got, I've, I've had to kind of peck and scrap and scrape around and, and, and I'm learning still. How to be what I never had. Or how to be what, what I never had a whole lot of. And, it, and just because I didn't have, how many of you know, if you got daddy issues, it transfers into every area of your life, right? Hey, listen, we've gotta, we gotta grow up a little bit and be able to say, hey, even if I didn't have it, doesn't mean I'm not supposed to be it. If I didn't have it, that doesn't mean that, hey, I've got an interesting little thought here. Where was Timothy's dad and granddad? Uh-oh. He wasn't in there. They, Timothy probably had daddy issues, is just my thought. Because granny and mom had to raise him in the things of the Lord. Not a bad deal, but where was dad? So Paul realizes that. Man, this guy's got daddy. He's got, I gotta come in and I gotta help him in these things. And, 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 and so the power and the priority of generational transference. And he says, verse six, hey, hey, don't, Stir up the gift of God which is in you, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. A lot of people believe Timothy was by nature very timid and fearful by way of the context of, of how Paul dealt with him. So we see his father, his dad, his spiritual father coming in and saying, listen, you got the goods, brother. 
You got it from your granny. You got it from your mother. And now here I am. And man, you, you just need to stir it up. Somebody say, stir it up. You got what it takes. Don't sit around and cry about the fact of what you didn't have. Just get a hold of what you do have. And let's go do this. Are you with me? Say amen. And let me tell you something. There comes a time in every believer's life when God looks to them to be someone who has an impartation into other people's life. I've met grown men, engineers, fathers of great families who never got it. I had a grown man, a pretty wealthy guy, sat and cry in front of me, just cry in front of me. Ever since I left my church where my spiritual father was, I, I don't, I, you know, and I'm going, well, I'm not him. But let me tell you who you are. You now is one. So, hey, I ain't your daddy. But now, guess what? You're a dad. You've got a responsibility. You can't let what you don't have keep you from being what you're supposed to be. It's time to impart. And that's what discipleship is all about. It's about giving away what God's given us. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. It's the power and priority of generational transference. Here's the next one that I want to lay on you. And I'll, I'll slip a little. I'll go a little faster. Maintain the flame. Paul comes to Timothy and he says, listen, you got what it takes, but you better, you better stir it up. Look at that verse six where he says, stir up the gift of God, which is in you. The real phrasing there is fan into flame. Everybody say fan into flame. In other words, the, the spiritual gifting and gracing on your life will go out. It will diminish if you don't keep it alive. If you don't fan into flame the gifting of God. He said, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul said, I imparted something to you. You've got a gift. You've got a grace. Now you've got to fan it into flame. You've got to keep the flame burning. Anybody ever had to stoke the fire? Come on now. That's our spiritual journey. And, and, it's, and it's a journey of stoking and fanning into flame. Let me tell you something. Could I get, could I, could I get on my soapbox just a little bit? People, some people feel like they got to run here and there and everywhere to find somebody who will slap them on the head and, and shake them up a little bit and get them all worked up so they get their spirit stirred up. Now, I love those kind of times, but listen, those times may or may not come in your life and you cannot be reliant upon somebody else to keep the spiritual flame burning in your life. And as people of, of, of destiny and people of discipleship responsibility, Paul comes to Timothy and he says, listen, you're about to be the man. You got to learn to keep the flame burning in your life. As a, as a leader and as a disciple and as a, as a minister in the church, as a role model and example, you got to stir it up. Everybody say, stir it up. Keep it burning. There, there, you know, there, Beverly and I, Beverly could, and I could probably count. I probably have two to three God moments in my life where God came and divinely ministered to me in a supernatural, spiritual way 
that revolutionized and changed my life. I'm talking about experiences I had with God post being born again. They're just divine moments and opportunities where I needed it. He realized, oh, I got to help this boy. But the rest of the time, it's getting up in the morning, Folgers in your cup, get your Bible, stirring it up, stirring it up, stirring it up. Are you with me? He said, stir up, fan into flame, the gift of God, which is in you. For God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. What's he saying? What's he doing with Timothy? You're the man. You got the goods. You stir it up. You got what it takes. You can do this. You can, you can invest yourself in other. You can lead other people. And hey, and don't be ashamed of the gift of God and the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed. Share with me in the sufferings. Everybody say, maintain the flame. Number three, from chapter one, discipleship Lesson number three from chapter one, Paul's endeavoring to pass the baton on to Timothy. And here's the way I'll say it. Hold what you got. Everybody say, hold what you got. Now I think of Charlie Walker when I say that, when I say that. Anybody know who Charlie Walker is? Charlie Walker was my dad. And, uh, everybody called him Charlie. Uh, his name's Charles Robert and he was a mechanic. And so we were always working on things, and he would always need me to help him do something. We built uh, our kind of halfway built cars and hot rods together and motorcycles and stuff, and he was a mechanic. And, and if I have any mechanic skills, it came from him. I don't have many, but I got, got a few. And I, he taught me very quickly the, the backup wrench. Anybody know about the backup wrench? A bolt and a nut, you gotta have a backup wrench. You turn the bolt, the nut may turn too, you gotta have a backup wrench. And it sometimes my dad would be so tangled up in something, he needed me to hold the backup wrench or whatever, and whatever and really another and he'd say, Oh, what you got? Everybody everybody look at somebody like Charlie Walker. Oh, what you got? Oh, what you got? That's my dad. Oh, what you got? Paul comes to Timothy and he says the same thing. And and when you get to the end of the book and I think Timothy probably knew this. Paul's on his way out. He's checking out. He knows his days are numbered. He knows he's on his way to heaven soon. And he comes to Timothy and he says, verse 13, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Everybody say, hold what you got. Now, listen, you, you cannot let go the foundational principles of God's word in your life. He said, the things you got from me, you better hang on to them. And let me just tell you, there's a whole world out there trying to jerk it out of your hands and trying to undermine the foundation of God in your life. And Paul's uh, passing this on to him. Hey, if you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be an investor, if you're going to be a discipler, you got to hold what you got. And those good things, that good thing which was given to you uh, uh, and, and was invested into your life, you got to keep it by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Listen, that hold fast the pattern of sound words, it really says this, stay true to the pattern. There is a pattern about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And could I tell you today in the world we live in, there's a lot of people have perverted the pattern to fit their mindset about what it means to be a Christian. Am I right? 
and they and they make it they make the they 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 twist the word to make it fit their watered down lifestyle. And so Paul comes along to Timothy and says, "You you can't let that happen. You got a whole what you got. Listen, when it comes to discipleship, methods change, but message can never change. Are you with me?" Our methods change, but the message can never change. We got to hold what we got. We can't let it loose. We can't, we can't, uh, 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 divert ourselves away from the vision and purpose of God for our life. And that is to make disciples. And here's the cool part. He said, hold what you got. That good thing which was committed to you. Everyone say committed to you. Now the word commit could mean a lot of things, couldn't it? How many of you don't ever want to be committed? You got that part, right? But let me say it another way. How many of you want to be committed? You get it. You get it. Some people still don't. Committed to the insane asylum. I got it. Okay, I got it. Yeah. You don't want to be committed. So the word can mean a lot of things. It can mean a different thing, uh, depending on how you use it. The, here it means deposited within you. That good thing which was deposited in you. This little phone right here, it's the most amazing thing. What is the world coming to? I get a check, whether it's from my rent house or whatnot. I can take a picture of it, and it's deposited. How does that work? It's amazing. It goes in there. And in a couple of days, boom, boom, there's it in my checkbook. I can spend it. Paul says, I came and I deposited some things in you. Now, that's what fathers do. That's what spiritual leaders do. They deposit things in people's life. And he said, that good thing which was deposited in your life, you keep it. That word keep, uh, it means uh, to, to uh, obey and guard and preserve it. And guess how that happens? By the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Keep it by the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul to Timothy, man, the good thing which I deposited in your life, you better hold what you got and you better make sure the Holy Spirit is active in your life, keeping those things secure and preserved because I'm, I'm, I'm about out of here. And guess what? It's you and the Holy Ghost now. You better hold what you got. Who said that in my life? But what's his name? Charlie Walker. All right. He died at an early age, but he made a difference. Okay, here we go. Uh, hold what you got. The last one, and this is a powerful one. It's in verse 15 and 16, 17 and 18. Verse 6, verse 15, this you know. Now, catch what he says. Let me just back up before I get into this. What's he trying to do here? He's trying to teach. Paul's not just whining here. When you look at the end of this book, you're going to discover he's not whining. He said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. But then he goes on at the end, right before he 
he, his last words before he went to heaven, his last recorded message to anybody, he said, but the Lord stood with me and preserved me for his heavenly kingdom. He said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. This man had been hurt by people. A man who had laid his life on the altar. Here's the final discipleship truth that Paul's trying to get a hold of Timothy, especially from the standpoint of him maybe being fearful and timid. And it is this. In ministry, some will hurt you, but some will help you. There's going to people hurt you. Paul didn't bring Phagellus and Hermogenes up just because he was puking out of his hurt. He said, you know these two guys. In fact, did you know these two names, Phagellus and Hermogenes? Man, wouldn't you hate to have the name Hermogenes? I'd just call me Herman if that were me. I wouldn't go Hermogenes. The only place they're mentioned in Scripture is right there. What a legacy. These two guys left me. Along with the rest of Asia. But these two guys left me. Some people will hurt you. I know people who are not serving the Lord today because somebody hurt them. Somebody moved. I can guarantee you it will happen. It's a part of the process. But Timothy, some will help you. Onesephorus. Yeah, we got Herman and Phil, but then there's Onesephorus. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesephorus, not just Onesephorus, his whole household. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. And when we arrived, when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. This guy deserves some credit. Timothy, here's what he's saying. Let me read between the lines here. Sometimes it's dangerous to read between the lines. But I think it's okay as long as you balance it out with truth. Here's what I'm reading between the lines. Timothy, which camp are you going to be in? You going to be Phil and Herm? Or are you going to be Onesephorus? What camp are you going to be a part of? Timothy, I need you. Don't be Phil and Herman. I need you to be Onesephorus. Oh, no, by the way, you need to be Onesephorus to others. This is what it's all about. And here's what he's saying. Timothy, some will help you, some will hurt you. You will be bruised, but refuse to be bitter. You can't be bitter. We know in Scripture that bitterness is like a cancer, like gangrene. It'll poison our life. In fact, Hebrews verse 12 Chapter 12, verse 15 says, Looking carefully, lest any root of bitterness springs up. And if you go to the end of the book, you can read it. We'll see it again later, but I mentioned it to you. He's bruised, but he's not bitter. 
interesting to me, he calls names. <laughs> and I th I'm not sure why, but I think I know why, as a warning. And how many of you know the Bible talks about marking people? You watch that fellow. He'll hurt you. Yeah, do you forgive him? Yeah, but you don't let him bite you anymore and undermine the purpose of God in your life. Amen? Some will hurt you. Some will help you. You can't be bitter. Now, what's your homework? Take these two books and read them from that standpoint, father to son. And think about people in your life. Are there people in your life that God is looking to you to invest in them? What leadership truth, what discipleship truth do they need in their life? You know, some people have been hurt and wounded by others. Man, I just gave you a great one. It happens. Don't be bitter. There's always somebody on the other side. Let me, let me tell you, I've had, I've had people hurt me, not, not to no degree like Demas and Paul have experienced or, or Demas did to Paul and Alexander the coppersmith. But I want to tell you what I have had. I've had a whole lot of Onesephorus people in my life. We've invested in me. And that's what God wants us all to be. He wants us to be men and women who not only, and, and, and it's a two-way street. This is what, the power of generational transference. Remember this. Most people are just like this. Most believers are just, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. Feed me, feed me. You know, if all you do is get fed, you know what you'll do? You'll bloat up and things will not be well with you. Are you with me? Anybody ever eat too much? Okay. All right. If all you do is want to be fed, you'll be in trouble. God wants us to feed us so we can feed others and then be an investor in other people's life. And when you come to the close of your life, I don't want to be morbid here, but how many of you know planet Earth is the shortest amount of time we'll ever live anywhere? Hello. Did you know that? I'm not going to come back other than with Christ if I die and come back with Him. I'm not going to, uh, there's no such thing as uh, reincarnation. I'm not coming back until Jesus brings me back if I die before He returns. I got one life to live, one opportunity to make a difference in other people's life. And God's looking for fathers and mothers and investors and disciplers. People who will take people under their wing and love them and tend them and care for them and, and raise them up, not baby them, but raise them up and release them into ministry and release them with, with grace, just like Paul does with Timothy. Man, you got it. Go for it. Hold what you got. Don't let people who hurt you keep you from God's purpose and plan. Maintain the flame. Keep it burning bright. I keep giving it away. And everybody loved the Lord said amen. That's what it's all about. Hey, when you get to the close of your life and you, people are talking about you, I always say, don't make the preacher lie while you're lying there. You get it? 
Don't, don't make him lie while you're lying there. When they come to the close of my life, hey, I want to hear well done, thou good and faithful servant. And if I hear that, I'll know I've made a difference in someone else's life. Amen. That's what it's all about. Let's stand up. Discipleship lessons from a father to his son. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord. We thank you for Timothy, Lord, and how he received from his father, Paul. And we thank you for Paul and how this relationship they had inspires us and teaches us, challenges us to grow and to be what you've called us to be. Raise us all up as fathers and spiritual mothers and fathers and investors and people who deposit your truth into not only our family, but those around us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen.